Bible is going to open to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. We're going to continue our series. In fact, we only have a couple messages left in this series on a life of faith. We've been studying the chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. We started in verse 1 several weeks ago, and we began by defining what faith is, and then looking at what faith does, and how faith reacts, and how faith really is lived out in a practical way in our lives. The author, as I've said, is writing to a Christian audience. He's writing to Jewish Christians in particular there in Jerusalem and in other areas where, of course, there was uh, the church. And he's, he's using people, the example of people that they would know very well, of stories that they would know of people like uh, Abraham and of Noah and of Abel and of Moses. He's, he's using these stories because they would know very well each of those stories, and he's connecting how those people in their lives exercised faith, how they lived by faith, and what it resulted for them. How, how in different situations, faith takes on a, a different um, a different action, or it takes on a, a, uh, a different form. Faith isn't just a one-cut cloth thing. It's not just a religious practice. Faith is more than that. Faith is, is a lifestyle. Faith is, is ever-growing and, and ever-changing. Uh, our, our faith ought to be growing in our Christian life. We ought to be getting to know God more. We ought to be drawing closer to God each day because that's what faith does. Faith is, is more than just something that you do on Sundays. It's more than just a song you sing, and it's more than just a book that you read. And, and so we've been studying about what that faith looks like when you begin to flesh it out. When God asks you to do something that seems impossible, how does faith react? Or when trials come into your life and circumstances that are very difficult, what does faith do then? And, and how does our faith lead us in those circumstances. And even last week, we, we, we talked about how in Moses's life, how, how faith uh, had a, a role in what his parents did and the decision they made when he was born of going against the culture and, and the decision that he made of, of looking forward to the future and not just in the present and the temporal and, and esteeming the people of God and the riches of God more than the riches of this world. And, and faith leads us to that. And we talk about how faith leads us in our life. But did you know that a life of faith always produces a victorious life? By the time that you get down to verse 29 to 31, which is what we're going to study this morning, you'll find that the author really wants us to focus on this truth, that a life of faith at the end will produce a victorious life. I don't know about you, but I want to win in life. I don't think I know anyone that's thinking in their right mind that says, I'd like to be a loser. I love losing. I don't want to win anything. I don't want to win the lottery and I don't want to win the game. I, I want to be a loser in life. Nobody wants that. Everyone wants to be a winner in life, right? But the only way you're going to win 
The only way that you're going to be victorious in this life is by living a life of faith. Now, what we're winning at might be different than what the world would describe as winning in life. And we learned about that throughout this series. The way the world views what getting ahead is all about is not what the Christian view or God's view in life is. That's why a life of faith is very different. But at the end, a life of faith gives you true and real victory. It gives you a lasting joy and happiness in that victory. Now, when a Christian lives by faith, it doesn't really matter what the circumstances of society are. It doesn't matter what the obstacles being faced are. It doesn't really matter what the challenges that lie ahead are. His faith or her faith will always be victorious. It's faith that brings victory in our life. I don't know how many history buffs are here, but you'll recall that Winston Churchill was the prime minister in England during World War II. And he's credited with bringing so much hope to the island of England during that time. Germany was attacking daily with their airplanes throwing bombs, bombing London and bombing different strategic areas of the country. And and Winston Churchill uh, inspired the people during that time to to not give up. And one of his most famous speeches uh, is the the speeches uh, the speech on victory. And I want to share a little bit of what what he said. Uh, I'll share his words. He said, "I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have never before us many." many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I answer in one word, it is victory. Victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. Can I say in the Christian life that without faith there is no victory? You say, what is the aim in the Christian life? I would echo the words of Winston Churchill in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory no matter what the sacrifice may be. It is Victory. But what does victory look like in the Christian life? The author's writing to Christians that have been ran out of their home and out of their city. He's talking to people that have been kicked out, many of them, from their family inheritance and from family ties altogether. There's fathers that are not talking to their sons because their sons have put their faith in Jesus Christ. There are grandparents that won't talk to their grandchildren simply for the decision that they have made of faith in Jesus. Where's the victory in that? This is why he begins to recall to them stories that they would know about what victory looks like and what victory is. Notice what he says in verse 29 in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, 
By faith, they, that is the children of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. What does victory look like? He's, he's reminding them this is what victory looks like. And there, there was a time where we crossed as a people the Red Sea and we had victory over the Egyptians. There was a time where we faced the city of Jericho and we had victory. There was, there was a time when a woman had to make a decision and she found victory in life. This morning, what, what I want to share with you is that a life of faith always produces a victorious life. What does that look like? What does that look like in our life today? Well, let's examine three ways of just how victory is won in the life of faith. Notice, first of all, if you're taking notes, victory is by the grace of God. Victory is attained and described and seen by the grace of God. Verse 29 talks about that place when they passed through the Red Sea. Now, if you can recall a little bit of the story of what is going on, they have just left Egypt and they are on their way to the promised land. But God takes them down a path where they have to cross the Red Sea. The problem is that the Red Sea is pretty big. There's no boats there waiting for them. There, there's, there's, there's not anything of a plan that says, here's how we're going to get across quickly before the Egyptians change their mind. And by the way, Pharaoh changed his mind. Just a night before, he was saying, hey, get out of here. We don't want you in our land. We don't want anything to do with you. And now, 24 hours later, he's rethinking that. And he's thinking, I just let about a million slaves go free. What's our economy going to do? How are we going to move forward after that? So he says, you know what? No, we need to go bring them back. And now the Egyptians are chasing them with their army. They have horses and chariots. They have men of war. And now they're coming behind them. And Israel is boxed in all of a sudden. The Red Sea is in front of them, and the Egyptian army is behind them. And you know what they do? I wish I could say they got on their knees and they asked, God, Make a way for us, but they didn't. I wish I could say that uh, they begin to encourage one another and saying, listen, uh, if God can send 10 plagues uh, into, their, into their land and, and make sure we get our freedom, then he'll probably destroy their chariots somehow. He can, he can do something. He, he can blind them or, 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 or he can strike them down somehow. We're going to be okay. But they didn't. What did they do? They start complaining. They start looking to Moses and say, Moses, is this why you got us out of here? Is this why? So that we can die here in the desert? So that we can either choose drowning or getting beheaded by the Egyptians? I mean, really? I mean, I, I brought my three-year-old out of there for this. I mean, I mean, Moses, are you sure you heard God correctly? Are you sure we weren't? Supposed to take a left somewhere back there, maybe a couple miles back. I mean, is this really what we're brought out of Egypt for? You know why victory is by the grace of God? 
Because the grace of God is something that is given to us, not something that is earned. Let me tell you something. When my kids complain, it doesn't make me want to buy them more gifts. It doesn't make me want to give them more freedom. A complaining teenager, you don't go, oh, I'm sorry. I thought midnight was a good enough. You want to come back at three in the morning? Okay, come back. He was just complaining so much. I gave him three in the morning, just three more hours of freedom. Complaining doesn't do that. Right? As, as parents, we, we, we say either you stop complaining. You know what? You're going to continue to complain? How about I just take away that PS5? How about that? How about you don't really need the Nintendo Switch? Right? We, we, we want to take away things. Because we say the way you're acting deserves this in response. And the way they were acting, I would have thought God would say, you know what? As if I hadn't really done enough for you, fine. But the grace of God's not like that. The grace of God's not dependent on what we are being like and doing. God gives us his grace because God is a God of grace. Because he's good. Because he delights in righteousness and in love. It's something that brings joy to God to show his grace to others. A life of faith is seen in the victories that we have through the grace of God. Paul said it this way. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Were it not for God's grace, I'd be a totally different person. Were it not for the grace of God, I'd probably still be persecuting Christians. And if you think back in your life, were it not for the grace of God, where would you be on a Sunday morning? Where were you on Sundays before the grace of God got into your life? See, the victories that we want to call victories. Man, I've, I've been in church for the last 10 years. Man, great. But you've been there because of the grace of God. It's amazing as you think of that story that here's what he highlights in that first sentence. The author says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. In other words, in dry ground. The grace of God rescued them to a point where they didn't have to swim across. They walked across on dry ground. How is it that victory is seen in the life of faith? It's seen as we move forward by faith. I put the reference there in your, in your notes, Exodus chapter 14. I want you to notice verse 13 down to verse 15. It says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. This is in the midst of them complaining, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Moses is sitting there going, okay, boy, uh, people, people, stand still. God's going God's gonna to save us. God's going to do wonders. And then he's turning to God and going, God, okay, um, I already told the people, what, what, what are we going to do? And God is saying, what, what are we going to do? Listen, you don't, you don't need to ask me what you're going to do. The way out is forward. I'm sure the, 
the moment that he heard that was, uh, God, there's a sea, right, in front of us. I know the answer's not back, because there's an army that's really waiting to just ca- either kill us or take us captive back to, to Egypt. But forward? God says, tell them to move forward. In the Christian life, faith always moves us forward. Faith will never move us backward. A life that is trusting in God is always looking to go forward in life, to grow in their spiritual walk, to apply more of God's word in their heart, to to have more Christ-likeness in them. A life of faith is always moving forward. Victory is found moving forward. Not standing still doing nothing. Not going backwards towards the enemy. It's moving forward. You know, you and I have been promised and given victory in our lives if we simply move forward in our faith. Now, it's really hard to do that sometimes, right? Sometimes we can think, you know, if I start giving, the pastor talks a lot about giving. If I start giving, I don't see how I'm going to pay my bills this month. How can I move forward in that? Or, or maybe the, the thought comes in, if, if I share that message, you know, the gospel message with people at work, they might laugh at me. My neighbor might dismiss me. My family might not talk to me. I, 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 I don't know that I can move forward in that. You know, if, if, if I read my Bible, I mean, I hardly even understand it. I don't always, I don't always know the context and who he's writing to, and I, I don't know. So many times the devil with that kind of thought gets us to stand still. A life of faith cannot just be stagnant. Victory is what a life of faith produces because it's always moving forward. The author reminds them, guys, I know it's really tough right now. I know you're you're, you're having suffering and persecution. Listen, you're not the first ones. Our ancestors over there by the Red Sea, they also had to move forward. Hey, listen, you're not in Jerusalem anymore. And now you're getting persecuted by the, the Roman Empire. Move forward. Hey, it's, it's 2023 and, and society and culture is changing. Move forward. A life of faith always produces victory. Victory is found when you move forward. Then I want you to notice a second observation of that, and that is not only when We're moving forward by faith, but when faith is part of our lives. When I say part of our lives, I don't don't really mean just something we do in our life. I mean when faith is our life. When the word of God is more than something we try to think about one day out of the week. I'm talking about when what God thinks is what I want to know. And what God leads is what I want to follow. When faith like that is in our lives, then, then victory is the result. A winning life. That second part of verse 29, which the Egyptians assigned to do, were drowned. Here's the thing. The people of Israel moved forward. They walked on dry ground. Not far behind them was the Egyptian army doing the same thing. 
Did you know that for a little while they were walking on dry ground? They had their chariots moving through the Red Sea, even the Egyptians. But at the end, they were destroyed. What was the difference? Was it because, you know, the, the heart and attitude of the, of the people of Israel were all about loving God? They were just complaining. In the midst of their complaining, the grace of God opened up a path for them. Because God is good. And God is gracious. And they start walking through. The Egyptians, trying to do the very same thing, get drowned. difference is faith. You say, but you just said that not all of them had faith. They, they all did not, but Moses did. Not to say that some of the leaders of Israel probably said, let's just start moving forward. I'm sure there are some saying, ah, who knows how long that wind is going to last. I don't know that I can make it all the way to the other side. There are some of the children of Israel that had to be first in line and said, let's just start walking across. God has made this way. Faith is leading us forward. Let's go forward. The Egyptians didn't have such faith. The Egyptians didn't have a fear of God. The Egyptians were lacking in their life the grace of God. In fact, we don't have time, but if you read the story of Exodus, God was speaking to Pharaoh. And you'll find that the first three times that Moses, for the first three plugs, uh, plagues that, that Moses went to talk to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. In fact, Pharaoh begins to talk about his gods. He says, yeah, your, your God does that. <laughs> My God does too. If you'll read carefully, you'll find that the uh, the seers, the, uh, I don't know what we would call them, maybe the wizards or the counselors that were with Pharaoh, when Moses threw his stick down, you remember the first, the first sign, Moses threw his stick down and it turned into a snake? Did you know that the uh, Pharaoh's seers did the same thing? They threw their sticks down, they turned into snakes. You know what I have found? that a religious person without the grace of God can do and act very similar to one that has the grace of God. But they don't end victorious. That's why just having religion in your life isn't good enough. We need a relationship with Christ. Just going to church isn't good enough. Because church never saved anyone even a Baptist church. You know what saves someone? God's grace. For by faith are you saved through grace. Or by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. How do you win a life of faith? By moving forward. Making faith the biggest part of your life. That faith is your life. Second observation 
is that victory is a byproduct of obedience. You look at verse number 30, now he says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Israel has gone through the Red Sea. Now they're crossing Jordan. They've crossed the River Jordan the very same way that they crossed through the Red Sea. Now they're in the Promised Land. The first city they come to is the city of Jericho. It's got big walls, walls that are impenetrable. And this is usually what happens when someone was going to take a city that had big walls. What you would do is you would lay siege to the city. What a siege is, if you, if you recall, the, the, the cities had these big walls with one door. All right. And, uh, and all they would do is close the door for protection. The problem is, is that uh, the, these walls that were around the city, the city wasn't big enough to have these large, you know, 10 acres of, of corn and, and, and 50 acres or 100 acres uh, growing beans and, and all kinds of food that you, were, that you were needing to eat or consume. That was done outside of the walls. All right, of the city. The city and the, what was in the city was just the, 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 uh, the homes and, and uh, where people lived. And, and then they would shut the door for protection so no one would attack them. But that's what a city was for. And the, the, the walls were built around that, but not around the food supply. So what an army would do is they would go and they would surround the city and they would make sure that nobody comes in and out of that door. If the door opens, we attack the door and we go in the city and conquer it. So what happens is you stay around there for two years, sometimes three years. There was some food supply within the walls, but that wasn't going to last forever. At some point, you got to come out and go and you know, work on the fields and get more, more food. The army outside that was laying siege took control of all those fields. So they had food to feed their army, but and wait for that city to, to fall, to, to starve or, or to open the gates or to make peace. Now, here's the problem. The people of Israel crossed into the promised land. There are about a million of them. There's kids. It's not just an army that's around Jericho. I mean, there's, there's, there's children. There's moms. There's people that have needs, and there's, there's all kinds of things that are there. How do you give food for a million people? And wait two years for these people to come out of that wall. It's like it wasn't a viable plan. So what does God do? He says, well, I need you to march around the city once for six days. On the seventh day, march around it seven times and then yell. And the walls are going to come down. That plan is absurd. It makes no sense. But with that easy more city walls would come down. No army had ever done that before because it makes no sense. And yet that is what God is asking them to do, and they did it. They obeyed. As crazy as that plan was, they obeyed, and the walls come down. What do we learn from that? What is he trying to, to say? Victory in your life is a byproduct of obedience. The more we obey what God's word teaches us, the more victory we experience in life. The more you want to win in life, the key is be obedient to God. Make his principles, principles that you live by. Make the precepts of his word 
those things that you cherish and follow. Now, I want to point this out. There in your notes, doing the mundane and what is routine is part of obedience. I'm sure it wasn't fun walking around the city for those first six days. The seventh day was even worse. You know, God's plan for them wasn't complicated. wasn't really exciting. But it was the key for victory and seeing the walls go down. Can I say that the Christian life isn't really that complicated? It's not so hard to understand. Sometimes it's the easiest thing. Problem is, sometimes it's so easy it can get boring and mundane. You know, like going to church. Ugh, again? Weren't we here like, I don't know, a week ago? Read my Bible again? Didn't I just read it like 24 hours ago? Taking time to talk to God in prayer. Didn't we just talk? You know, forgiving people that have done you wrong. Again. Loving your enemies when they mistreat you and persecute you. Again. Like I, I remember doing that once, Pastor, but again. You see. The key for you experiencing victory and winning in life is doing that again. It's reading again. It's coming to church again. It's taking time to pray again. Pastor, sometimes I fall asleep praying. So do I. You're not the only one. But you do it again. The key to victory is that obedience. Just obey. Just obey. Victory is a byproduct of that obedience. They could have laid siege and the walls may have never come down. The second thought I had on that was believe that God's plan would work. I think the most difficult thing to explain for Joshua to the people was this is the plan God has. Huh? This is what we're going to do. What? We're going to walk around. No, seriously. What are we going to do? Right? I mean, that's what I would have been. Like, Joshua, you can't be serious. Sometimes, as a pastor of the church, I, I feel like I'm giving some of those kind of instructions. I said, let's come Wednesday, we're going to pray. Again? Huh? But, but what are we going to do in the prayer? Like, like we're going to jump around or something? Going to jump rope? Do something? No, we're just going to come and, and, and pray. Yeah, yeah, but how are we going to change it up a little bit? I don't know. We're just going to come pray. It's just part of the Christian life. 
say, Pastor, but, but I mean, if we do that, I mean, seriously, how are we going to grow? I mean, we, 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 we've got to have, like, state-of-the-art stuff. in this. Nobody's going to come to this church if we don't have state-of-the-art stuff. Victory is not found in state-of-the-art. Now, I'm all for state-of-the-art. We do our best to have as much technology as we can in this church. I try to have any PowerPoint or anything that helps me not bore you when I'm talking. Victory is found in the obedience. It's a byproduct of it. In the most mundane and routine of the Christian life, and believing that that's going to work. Sometimes we want to help God out. No, that's too simple. No, that's, that's not enough. We, we have to have something bigger than that. But sometimes we just got to do the simple, easy to understand stuff. Let me give you the third one. Time's, time's gone. Victory is not based on background. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. And she had received the spies with peace. The last example he gives is of a woman named Rahab. Notice that he describes her for what she was at that time. She was a harlot. She had a life that was not worthy to imitate. Not one that was normally to be admired by those around her. Yet despite having the past that she had, she exercised faith and believed God. She changed into a different person. She no longer lived and had the life of a harlot, but rather the life of faith. She no longer lived in defeat in a city that was going to be destroyed. She now lived safely with the people of God. I want you to notice that it was an individual decision that she made. I think in the beginning of verse 31, that's the contrast that's made. Notice what Rahab did compared to everybody else in her city. They believed not, but she believed. Though she was in the same city as all the other citizens of Jericho, she didn't make the same decision. They had no fear of God and no, no idea of, of changing. She did. Victory in life is an individual decision. No one makes that decision except you. As a church, we experience victory because the individual members have chosen to obey in the mundane and the routine. Because the individual members have been touched by the grace of God and their life has been changed. That's how a church impacts a community, a city, and a nation. But it starts with the individual decision. You don't need to be of a special family or have a special talent. You can live victorious regardless of what anyone else does just by simply making the decision to live by faith. Secondly, it involves choosing a new identity. Rahab chose a new people and a new God 
and a new way to identify. She had a background that was different from others, absolutely. But she didn't stay with that identity. Faith changed that. You and I must realize that we are different. Not by where we live. Not by the culture we live in. We're going to dress very similar and we're going to do the same jobs that others are doing. But we're different in our identity of what we are and how we live. Who we are. When Rahab received those spies, she was identifying with them. She said, I know your God. I put the passage there, Joshua chapter 2, 9-11. I know who your God is. The God, the creator. The God that did the miracles in Egypt. The God that brought you through the Red Sea and crossed the Jordan. That's your God. That's the God I want to serve. And she identified with them. She protected them. By faith, she found the victory. This morning, a life of faith produces a life of victory. By the grace of God, victory is a byproduct of obedience. Victory is not based on your background. There's no excuse for us not to live a life that's winning. No excuse for us this morning to not have a victorious life. My question is, are you living a victorious life? Is your faith leading you to move forward? Are you being stagnant? Are you moving forward by the grace of God? Are you following and living the biblical principles and precepts of God's word? In other words, are you obeying? We must ask ourselves, we identified with God over everything and everyone else. Rahab said bye to her people, to her culture, to her practices, to her friends, to the way she was living before. I want to encourage you this morning, live a victorious life. General Dwight D. Eisenhower during World War II said this. He said, there are no victories at discount prices. A life of faith always produces a life of victory. Are you victorious today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for the faith of the children of Israel that passed through the Red Sea. Faith that was really a display of your grace. Father, thank you for the faith of those of that next generation that were just obedient, even to the things that seemed mundane and routine. They saw victory as the walls came down in Jericho. Father, thank you. The life of Rahab teaches us that it doesn't matter what our background is, where we come from, where we've been. A life of faith can start today. We can have a new identity. Oh, Father, I pray that we as your people would live a victorious life. Pray that we, you would work in our hearts. 
but that we would make a decision today to live by faith and be victorious. I ask this in Jesus' precious name.